We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 today. Exodus chapter 16. And uh, man, we got a lot going on today. So we're glad to be together to worship. And we're going to spend some time in God's word in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, One of the things about it, Dad, it's Father's Day, um, as we've already mentioned. And you probably already know. Uh, a part of being a part of a, being a father is being a provider. Okay. And, uh, so that doesn't mean you ladies can't provide and don't help provide you do. But as a man, one of our callings as a biblical man is to be a provider for our family. And so if you think about it, we are supposed to make sure that we bring home the bacon, if you will, we bring home what is, if, and maybe if you're in a, uh, you know, a, a low cholesterol house, maybe some turkey bacon. Okay. Um, we, our job here is to provide, but here's the, here's the cool thing. God as father in the scriptures is a provider and we see him as a provider, especially in Exodus chapter 16, when he leads the people out of Egypt and he leads them through the red sea and he leads them on and he takes them to this place, to a wilderness and they get hungry and there's nothing to eat. So if you would, pick up with me in Exodus chapter 16. If you don't have a copy of God's word, it'll be on the screen for you in just a second. Here's what it says. This is verse 16. And they set, or chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So they have been out of about 45 days out of Egypt. And they have been, this is a multitude of 2 million people are wandering and they come into a desert. Deserts are not known for their great vegetation and some water supplies. And so we pick up in verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is a pattern that they see that God saves them and then they get to a place where stuff, it gets difficult and they grumble and complain. And since we've had all the kids around and we know this, kids are a joy. And they bring a lot of joy to your life, but they also bring a lot of wine, not like W-I-N-E wine, okay? Okay? They bring a lot of whining, okay? Am I right? Because here's what happened. We're going to camp this week with our students, and I got to drop off my little boy with his grandparents, okay? And we went, we drove down to the Atlanta area and dropped him off with his grandparents, but his cousins were there. And, oh my gosh, it went from rejoicing that they finally saw each other, the cousins, to about five minutes later, he touched me, he did this, I want the iPad, oh, what's your problem, okay? You ever been there? Stop it. That is not, they can't use the cup I want. I don't, hey, suck it up, kid. Um, I may or may not have said that. Um, The whining is not just relegated to children, though. But you do have the people of Israel reflecting this grumbling. And I just want you to see that here so you can see what's happening in the passage. God has saved them. He has led them. And now they're in a place where stuff's getting hard again. And they grumble and they complain. I can't believe we've got to do this. And so verse 3, and the people said to them, people of Israel said to them, would that we, and this is over, this is drama right here. This is over dramatic. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I am so hungry. I'm going to die. 
we used to be in Egypt, God, Moses. If you just left us there, we were in Egypt. Yeah, we're under slavery. Yeah, it was difficult. But we were in Egypt. We had full pots of meat and we had all the bread that we could eat. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? And God has saved them time and time again and been good to them time and time again. But they've come to the place of grumbling and complaining again because there is a lack and there is a need. In verse four, it says, and then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. As if they didn't know it already, but he's showing them yet again. Verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord for what you are for what you are that you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you're grumbling against him, that we, what, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord of hosts. In verse nine, it says, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near to the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And when... and and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I want you to notice something real quick as we're reading this. You know how many times the word grumble has appeared or grumbling? Over and over and over again. That is a theme. And then we pick up in verse 13. It says this, in the evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flaky-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. And when they measured it, it was an omer. And whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had nothing to lack. And each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till morning. And it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So what's the story? The people have been led into the wilderness. God has saved them time and time again, but they have forgotten God's goodness because of the need that's right in front of them. They're in this wilderness and they are hungry and they begin to complain over dramatic. Oh, if we were in Egypt, there was crock pots full of meat. There was bread everywhere. We ate all that we wanted to. It may not have been good, but there was a lot of it, like Golden Corral. And that, that, that is where we were. Now you brought us in the wilderness, God. 
to do this. And then it keeps saying they grumbled and complained. They grumbled and complained against Moses and Aaron. But God took it seriously and said, you're not just complaining against Moses and Aaron. You're complaining against me. And God points out time and time again in this passage, they grumbled and they grumbled and they grumbled. They complained. They complained. They complained. They whined. They whined. They whined. Now, what is the usual outcome? Let's go back to being a parent. What is the usual outcome of a child who whines? If you give in to a whiny child, they become emotional terrorists. You know this, right? And they realize all they have to do with the, to get what they want is to go, <laughs> And our job as adults is to be like, no, you will not terrorize my household. I am the parent. God put me in charge and your whininess is not going to be rewarded with goodness. But what does God do? He's a provider, right? And he provides several things. And there is this idea. It's a, it's a dumb idea. It's an idea put forth by people who have not read the scriptures carefully. That the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. That is a theological term called hogwash or malarkey. Okay? God is the same forever. Okay? He's just revealed himself over the course of history in the New Testament. And, and we see that Christ has always been there, but now he's being revealed in these particular times. So God the Father has always been the same. Also, I want you to God the Father has always been gracious. What is grace? We try to talk about this in my house a lot. Because sometimes <laughs> there's a lot of mercy. Okay? We all need it. But we all try to give each other grace. And there are some times when you got a kid that acts a fool and you got to stand up to the emotional terrorism they're trying to bring into your house and be like, no. And that's what our job is as parents is to do that, to lead them in these ways. Okay. So they won't be real terrorists later. Okay. Or in their life and they won't be just terrible humans. Okay. You know, that's a real possibility, right? If we don't do what we're called to do in the scriptures. And so we get to this point where and I've had it happen many times in our household where some, there's some foolishness happening and we got to correct it. And we did correct it and there's real contrition. And you know what we do? I, just, I come and say, Judson, you don't deserve to do the thing we had planned because of your behavior. And in fact, what judgment would be and what right would be is for us to go home, you'd go to your room, you'd lose your privileges. And sometimes that does happen. But sometimes what we do is we go, but today is a day of grace. Here's what grace is. It's goodness that you don't deserve. And I'm going to ex- exercise grace. And you know what behavior was wrong. And I'm not giving you this, this behavior. I'm not giving, you, giving in here so that you could think you win. I'm giving you this because God's given grace to us when we sin and we screw up. He gives grace. It means he gives good things when we deserve bad things. And that's exactly what is happening in this passage. I want you to look with me in verse 7 and 8 real quick. And the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. So here's the thing. The grumble, 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 grumble. And you know what God does? What do they really deserve for the grumbling and complaining? A smackdown. Do you not know what I did for you? Do you not know how I have? It's like when your kids are grumbling. Like, do you not know whose house this is? You breathe in that air. That's my air. It's in my four walls. It belongs to me. This, this, this land, oh, you like to take a shower? That's my water. 
You pay for that water? No, I do. You're going to treat me like that? You know that phone you're on? You know who that belongs to? Me. Your name's not on the contract, but that's my phone. No, I can cut it off with Verizon right now. Or Cricket or whoever you got. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not chilling for a cell phone company, okay? Do you know who this is? God has saved them time and time again. He has brought them out of the land of Egypt. He has taken them through the sea. He's crushed the biggest army in the world. He's provided in a place where they had no water and there was foul water in the previous section. He has provided sweet water for them to drink and they have done nothing. But when they get to the next point of lack, they just go, I wish we were in Egypt. Why God grumble, grumble, grumble. And God does not punish them right now. He says, look to the wilderness and what you're about to see is, the, is my glory, which the glory is the shining forth of God. So in the midst of their sin and grumbling against God and God's, God's leaders, God gives them grace and shows them who he is. He is gracious. And I want you to get this. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. He does not give us what we deserve, but he gives us goodness when we don't deserve it. And that's what we see in verse 8. It says, And Moses said to the people, When the Lord gives you the evening when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you're grumbling against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. So God's saying this, God, God heard the grumbling, and instead of giving them the punishment of the smackdown they deserved, he gives them grace and goodness and food. And so that was the second thing we see. God is a provider of grace, giving us something we don't deserve. We also see this, God is the provider of our physical needs. So here's what happens. Go to verse 13. Remember, let's go back to the very beginning. When they were in Egypt... They were complaining about the fact that when we were in Egypt, we had full pots of meat. We had all the meat we could eat and all the bread we could eat. So God's like, oh yeah? Let me show you a thing or two. Verse 13 says this. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. So God's going to provide. They needed meat, right? So God provided quail. Now, this is not like, when you say he sent quail, this was not, oh, look, beautiful birds. It wasn't a nature scene. Do you know what they were going to do with those quails? They're going to club them, and they're going to pluck them, and they're going to clean them, and they're going to eat them. So when you see the quails, like, oh, look what God did. This is, oh, look. Oh, he just brought some birds. Look at the birds. No, that's like dinner. I have never lived in that. I'm a, I'm a city guy. You probably know that about me, okay? Um, my grandmother, she was able to wring a chicken's neck while she was talking to you and walking. Like, I, I, it's pretty amazing. She would be like, you guys want chicken? And then, like, she could rip the heads off. Now, thankfully, like, that was at the, like, I only saw that at the beginning of my growing up years because then we started buying it from the supermarket because that's a, just a really, as a kid, you're like, she, she could take the head off at the same time wringing its neck and it was dead in a second. And it wouldn't even, like, the chicken didn't even know what happened. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And so, this, you know, we're so far, we got our, most of our meat comes from supermarket and, it's, pl- and it's, it's in the plastic wrap. But when the quails show up, it's God saying, oh yeah, you want to see my glory and my grace? You've grumbled and complained and whined, but you're my people and I love you. I'm going to show you grace and I'm going to give you way beyond what you had in Egypt. Because out here, you got me 
and you have your freedom, and now you also have everything you lacked or you think you lack. Everything and more. God is better than the world's, what the world can offer is what he's saying. And so he sends the quail in the morning. And those quail are not just, oh, happy birds. That's like, kill them and eat them. And we got the meat pots filled. Then verse 14. And when dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Which is literally means manna, okay? For they did not know what it is. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord gave you to eat. So at the evening, God gave them the meat pots. And then in the morning, he gave them this bread from heaven, this flaky coriander-like bread. They said, what is it? It didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. It was all over the campground, all over the place as the dew rose. And they, they had enough. God had sent bread from heaven for them to eat. He knows, God knows that his people need physical sustenance. He knows that and he provides it in this place where it cannot, where where it's hard or almost impossible to feed 2 million people. God comes through. And you got to think about this. This is enough meat, quail, and bread that falls on the ground to feed about 2 million people. So this is a lot of work. This is a God-sized miracle, and he is meeting the physical needs. So when we see God as provider, I want you to see through this passage, as we walk our life of faith, following Jesus, we need to know that God will provide for his people's physical needs. Now, that's not our wants, okay? That's needs. And if you got to, you can go online, you can look at the basic needs. There's basically five needs we have. Food, amen, okay? Water, oxygen, shelter, and sleep. You can't go without sleep, okay? On some of you new parents, you know how important sleep is, okay? Those are our basic physical needs. And what you have in scripture, especially with the people here in Israel, is God is providing for every one of their physical needs outside of the world's economy. They have left the richest kingdom and the world's power in Egypt. They have come out to this wilderness and God is providing for them everything that he needs, everything they need, and including food. And so this is, is, reminds us of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you should put on it. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will it not be so much more they would clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And some of you need to know this right now and hear this clearly. God is a provider. You need to walk and see this in your life and walk in faith. 
And he knows, just, just, you need to hear this this morning. He knows what you need. And he is a provider. He knows what you need and he is a provider. He has proven himself to be that way in the Old Testament. And he proves himself to be that in the New Testament. God is the same today and forever. He provides the grace that you need. Because you can't make it on your own. You need God to be good to you even in your poor state. And you need to know this. God is a provider. But I'll tell you something. Sometimes when it comes to our physical needs and the things that are right in front of us, it is really difficult to trust that God is a provider. You want to know, I was, You can see that in two different sections. If you would, go on and look down here in, in verse, uh, verse uh, 16. Verse, verse 16 of Exodus chapter 16 says this. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, talking about the manna, each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer. An omer is a weight of measurement, okay? According to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more and some less. And when they measured it with an omer, they gathered, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no, no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. So God supplied their need according to his goodness and his grace. Verse 18 says this, though. Or verse 19 says this, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Why? Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So why did they leave some over? If God had promised every day that he would provide them this quail and this bread, why did they take more than they needed to take? Why? Have you ever been to a restaurant? I'm sure you have. And you, when you sit down at the restaurant and you order food, sometimes your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Have you ever done that before? I went and ordered this thing one time. It was a pineapple, and it was like filled with fajitas and pineapple meat. It was like a half a pineapple. They hold it out. They put all this in there, and it was like lunchtime. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good to eat 12 pounds of uh, meat uh, inside of a pineapple at lunch. So I ordered this thing, and it comes to the table, and it's sizzling, and it's awesome. And I get two, I get two shells in, and I'm like, I'm done. So what do you do? You leave it there? Of course not. It's meat, okay? So I got a to-go box, and I took the to-go box with me, and we brought it home. And then, you know, probably midnight, I ate it. I don't know what the story of the fajitas is, but you've been there before. You bring home the to-go box. Why do you bring home the to-go box? You pay for that, and you want to keep it. Why do we stuff our fridges full of stuff and put stuff in the freezer? I'll tell you this. We buy more food. We buy food, and then sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't know that was back there. And it's gone bad, and you feel bad, and you throw the stuff away. I don't know if you're like me. You probably have more than you can handle. You ever go to Sam's Club before or any of those places like that? Like, why would you ever need a 100 count of Cheez-Its? I mean, like, you're not going to get those. They're going to get the last 36 are going to get pushed to the back cabinet. Or you're going to buy, I need a, I need a gross of chicken breast. So I'm going to freeze. And it's in the freezer for 12 years, okay? Why do we do things like that? Why did they take more bread, even though more bread was coming in the morning? Why did they keep it? What happened to it? Got worms and it stank. Why did they do that? Because they weren't trusting God. It is difficult when we can't see how our needs are going to get met to trust God. We know it's true. But all throughout the scriptures, 
God is working in us to, sh- to remind us that he is going to be the one that meets our needs, our physical needs, even if we can't see them. And our job here, as we've seen, is this is not to figure out how we're going to get those needs met. Although there's something to that. We have to trust God in these situations. Jesus talks about how he closed the grass of the field or he, he takes care of the grass of the field and he closed the birds and they don't have storehouses. In this particular situation with the people of Israel, he is not letting that stuff last because on the on the sixth day uh, into the seventh day, it would last. On the Sabbath day, they picked it up and it lasted for two days. Why? God wants to show them every morning they're dependent on him. This goes back. You know, it's a difficult thing to trust God as our day-to-day provider. At the end of that Matthew 6 passage, Jesus would say this, Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Somebody has said that worry, worry about tomorrow robs today of our strength. And that is very true. And God is showing us here that we have to, there's, listen, there is something to be said. And the scriptures have a lot of things to say about long range planning, about saving, about doing those type of things, about financial stewardship, about, about, and he talks, Jesus talks about it when he's talking about discipleship. What man would not, before he built a tower or a building, would not sit down and count the cost to make sure he could finish building? Because if he doesn't finish building it, everybody's going to laugh at him. He talks about that in many different situations. So there are situations in which we, we should calculate and we should think about the future, but I want you to get this. When anxiety comes into the mix, we have to trust God to be a provider. And I'm going to ask you this question. Where are you trusting God and where are you struggling to trust God as a provider? Where are you doing that? And then fine, I want you to say this. So God will provide. He, the promise is this. You may not see how it's going to get met, but the promise is this. God will provide for your physical needs. God provides grace to his people. But also this, I want you to see this. And this one is going to be interesting. God provides tests. God provides tests. Go back to verse four. In verse four, it says this, and this is the beginning of the passage, right after they have just, just whined and complained. Verse four says this, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a portion every day. Why? Here's the reason. That I may test them. Whether they will walk in my law or not. So, God has led them to the wilderness with no food on purpose. His purpose is not to tempt. What is a temptation? A temptation is trying to get somebody to screw up. No, God is testing them by giving them bread and has brought them to a situation of lack in order to see where they are spiritually. And a test, a lot of times we think of tests as a bad thing. Some of you may have test anxiety. I know several people have test anxiety. Just the thought of taking a test makes you want to crawl underneath something and die. You get nervous. You know you've memorized it and you sit down to take the test. And what happens? Every answer in the world leaves because you're so nervous. Okay. We also, testing gets a bad rap because nowadays testing is the way schools get funded and all sorts of different things. But at its very core, at the best possible way, a test is an assessment to show us how much we comprehend and to show us how much more we need to learn. Am I right? At, at its best, a test shows how much we comprehend and how much we need to learn. 
God has brought them, and this is on purpose, God has brought them to a place, a desert, a place of lack to teach them a lesson. And I want you to get this, okay? The lack teaches the lesson. The lack teaches the lesson. When God puts us in a situation, and he does it on purpose, where we cannot see how he, how he will provide, and we are in a, t- a situation of temporary lack, where it doesn't look like our need, physical needs are going to get met. We don't know how. We have anxiety about tomorrow. And we, don't, we cannot see how God, we know, we believe that God's a provider, but we can't see it. And so we're, like, we're hoarding the extra manna, and it's, it's, it's proving to be a stinky thing. What is he doing? He is testing us to see where our faith is, how much we get, and how much farther we need to go. And he is using the lack, the situation of lack, to teach us a lesson. Do you know what? God is good to do that. You know, if we didn't have assessments in school, a kid could make it through 12th grade and not know how to read if you never had an assessment. And it would be really hard to live in this world and not be able to read. If there was not assessments, you know, we've been talking about getting Judson some swimming lessons. If they didn't assess if they could swim, they just theoretically taught him about swimming. And then we said, all right, let's go to the beach. And we said, well, he's been through swimming lessons, and we throw him out there, and there's no assessment to tell him that he, could, he they can't swim. You know what happened? We'd make the news. There could be something terrible. He could die. Do you get that? God brings us to situations of lack and need and puts us in the crucible, in the, in the, in the, the point of difficulty to work in us, to teach us lessons, to teach us to trust him, to teach us all these things. He's brought these people here on purpose. He is a provider. He doesn't, he won't just provide for our needs, but he will even provide the test to grow our faith so that we know how to live in lack and trust God. And I want you to know something in your life, you will experience lack and you will experience plenty. You will experience the heights of heights and the lows of lows. And if you don't have a faith that's centered on this rock of this God who never changes, who is the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament, the God of grace, the God who provides physically for us, you will be like a ship tossed by the waves. You will be, you will be adrift with nothing to anchor you from the highs and the lows. And you will have nothing to help you combat anxiety and worry in your life if you don't come to the place where you even see when God brings lack, he's teaching you a lesson. And the lesson is to trust him as a provider. Because if I can look back on my life now, I've seen lack, but I've also seen God's faithfulness. I've seen God answer prayers and things and, and, and difficult situations, whether it be financial and other ways, in ways I never saw coming. And many of us, if we've walked with Jesus a while, we can see that. But it's amazing how a new situation can make us jettison all that stuff. And the scripture makes us come back and re- realize that God teaches us lessons in the lack. God is a God who provides for our physical needs. He promised he would. He loves you more than birds. He loves you more than the grass of the field that goes away. He promised to do that. 
So we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worry of its own, as Jesus said. We also know this. God provides tests and assessment. This particular situation of the manna, was a t- of them being lacking manna, lacking food in the desert, was meant to show them a lesson to see where they were. Now, they failed the lesson because we know they kept too much bread. We also know they went out and tried to keep too much on the sixth day. We also know this. God... All of this was done to show us that God will not just meet our physical needs, not just give us the tests we need to grow our faith. He will not just give us the grace we need, but he is teaching us a spiritual lesson. Go to the end of Exodus chapter 16, if you would. And we'll conclude with this. Exodus chapter 16, verse 31. Exodus chapter 16, verse 31. Now, the house of Israel called its name, this bread that fell from heaven, called its name manna. It was like coriander seed. It was white. And the taste of it was like a wafer made with honey. At least it tasted good, okay? Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer, remember an omer is a, a measurement. Let the omer of it be kept throughout your generations. So that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they're supposed to keep this bread and this particular bread they're going to keep is not going to stink and it's not going to become maggoty it's going to be held and it's going to be there for the generations for them to look at it and to see it and to know that what god has done it's going to be a monument verse 33 and jesus or and moses said to aaron take a jar and put an omer of manner in it and place it before the lord to be kept through your generation and as the lord commanded moses so aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept and the people of israel This is going to fast forward a little bit. They ate manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the 10th part of an ephah. So why do they keep this bread? Why? It's meant to help them remember what has happened, what God has done. He fed them with this bread for 40 years. They're keeping this this souvenir of the bread so that people can remember that God meets needs. And ultimately, this is the point of this. God doesn't just meet our need for grace. He doesn't just meet our physical needs. He doesn't just test us to grow our faith and to help us have have a rock-solid foundation in the times of lack. But he also, he is meeting our spiritual need. Let's fast forward to John chapter 6. God has fed his people for 40 years with manna. It's one of the stories that people would know. They kept this manna in the jar so everybody would know for generation to generation, even after the manna dried up, that God had fed his people when they had nothing. So fast forward to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and here's what happened. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people bread and fish, okay? And we get to the bottom part. The people come searching for him because they had just got full stomachs. And they want to see Jesus do a miracle again. And these people approach Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk to them about their unbelief. And in verse 30, it says this. And they said to Jesus, to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? And Jesus is going to reference what we just read. Jesus, in verse 31, says this. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We just read that. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. 
But my father, God, gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, had bread not come down in, in the wilderness, the people would have starved. Had this quail not be sent and the manna had not be sent, they would have starved. But God sent it. In like manner, the God had not sent, if God doesn't send the, the true bread of heaven, people would still starve spiritually. Verse 34, and they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus, in one of the I am statements, says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. And so here's the, the manna is pointing to that manna, which was bread, the God giving his people life by sending bread from heaven. is a sign and a symbol, and it points to a type, an example, who is going to be Jesus, who is going to be God's bread from heaven, sent to meet every spiritual need. By giving his life on the cross, by living a perfect life, giving his life on the cross, resurrecting and being the one who, by faith, we can come into God's family and kingdom and know him and know life eternal, not just life now. Because they ate the bread and they they disposed of the bread as bodies do and they had to have bread the next morning. But this bread, the bread from heaven, Jesus, who comes to meet all of our spiritual need, once he comes, you will never hunger or thirst and you have every spiritual need met. And again, he is the way, the truth, the life. He is all sustenance. He is what you need to have a healthy faith and to have a living faith and to have eternal life. And though you die now, you will be resurrected and raised. And he is that bread. And the manna that we see in in Exodus 16 is the manna, Jesus, the bread from heaven, who, when he is believed on, he provides every spiritual need that we have. And here's the thing. If you don't believe that God is a provider, well, you should. Okay. Because in the old Testament, he provided for his people. He gave them bread when they were about to perish. And in the new Testament, more fully, that bread that he gave in the Old Testament was pointing to the Son of God, the bread from heaven that would come and give life to the people now who will trust in him by faith. And here's the thing. God has provided for you everything you need. He gives you grace. He promises to meet your physical need. He has proved himself over and over in the New Testament. He will prove himself in your life. Also, he gives you tests to see, to grow your faith. He is not content with you staying where you are in your faith, but he is showing you where you are and showing you where you need to grow. And finally, our God is so good. He has given you everything you need spiritually to know God now, to have an abundant life, to have eternal life, and to be connected with God in Christ. That is God, our provider. And if you get to the place, and all of us do, we want to hoard a little extra manna because we don't think God's going to provide the next day. Or we want to be anxious about tomorrow and rob today of its strength. Or we want to get to the place where we can't see how God's going to, to, to meet those needs. Here's how what we have to do. We have to fight the fight of faith. And how do you fight the fight, fight of, how do you fight the fight of faith? That's a lot of alliteration there, un, unintentional. How do you do that? Is it by going, today I'm going to not be anxious. Today I'm going to do that. You know how it is? It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's look to Jesus. 
God has been faithful and he will be faithful. If you don't think God cares and he will meet your need, he loved you and sent Jesus. And while you were a sinner, he died for you. That is our hope. When we look to Jesus, we can fight the fight of faith and we can live in lack knowing the lessons coming and that our God cares for us. And some of you just need to hear this on a father's day that your heavenly father really does care And he is a good provider. You need to walk in that. And fight for that. To see that. Because when the people, when they grumbled and complained, what did God give them? He showed them his glory. And he gave them everything he needed. And when we were lost in our sin and we could not help ourselves, and we deserved nothing but God's judgment, what did God do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent bread from heaven to provide for our needs. You may not be able to see it now. You may not be able to see how he's going to come through. But he will. He has before. He has completed the work in Jesus. And those whom he he has called, he will persevere to the end. That is true. You can take that to the bank. That check won't bounce. That's real. God is a provider. We need to walk by faith in that. We're going to transition into a time of communion. And I'm going to invite the communion team forward. We're going to pass around communion. And as we do this, I'm going to invite us to just take a few minutes. And I'll play some music. But I invite us to take... There is inevitably something in your life that you are struggling to trust God about. Today is that day to work through that and take a few minutes. And and if you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. We'll take it together in a minute. But as we prepare, and it's very important for us to prepare our hearts before we take communion. I want you to think, where are you not trusting God? Where are those situations? And do some business with him in, in prayer before we take this because communion is a sign of what God has done and that we can trust him to provide, that he has provided salvation. So take a few minutes, pray and ask God, God, where am I struggling to trust you as provider? This is a symbol, communion is a symbol of the way God has provided a way for us to be made right with God, to have a new life and have eternal life through Christ. This bread and this juice represents his body broken and his blood spilt on our behalf. And when he was in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. In like manner, he took the cup after supper and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Stay the course. God is doing good things in our midst. Would you stand? And we're going to be dismissed with this good word about God being our provider. This is John. Here's the, we're going to close with these words of benediction from John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God is our provider. Walk in that grace and truth. You are dismissed. God bless you.